Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Stand now for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to John 14. And we'll read from 21 through 24. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, What then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Be seated. So again, we're back with the disciples and Jesus during these last hours with his men. The night before his crucifixion, don't forget that it's the night before he dies. He is preparing them for his departure from the world. And so this is his last opportunity to uh, speak to them Uh, directly with his mouth. And he's trying, as you know, you would if you were in a similar circumstance, to build them up and to um, encourage them for the work that they're going to be, that they have to perform. The work of the church in its infancy, the work of the church in the coming several decades. He has promised To them, one of the most glorious promises in all of Scripture, he's promised to give them his Holy Spirit. He's departing from them physically, but he is telling them that that the Holy Spirit is coming and would live within them. Jesus lived around them. The Holy Spirit would live within them. This is all a better situation than having Jesus physically present with them. So a few weeks ago, we thought about that statement that Jesus made um, just a few verses earlier. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? We worked through that. And you may remember that I said that this was part of the encouragement Jesus was giving to the men upon his departure. They didn't need him physically present in order to love him, right? And so he's telling them that. I don't have to be here for you to love me. Here's how you can love me. Obey what I've told you while I was with you, right? Obey. They needed to call to mind all of his commands and keep them. That would be the fruit of their love for him. Obedience to his commands would demonstrate their Love to Jesus and their commitment to his ways, their obedience. What we're looking at this morning is similar to that. Again, Jesus brings out this connection between 
loving Him and obeying His commands. He says, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And now it's certainly a restatement of his earlier command. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. What is the proof of your love to Jesus Christ? What is our proof that we love Jesus Christ? It is obedience to his commands. That is our proof. That's the diagnostic. Obedience to his commands. What is the proof that Jesus has given you his spirit? Well, again, it's... It's obedience to his commands. That's God at work within you, conforming you to Christ, or at least a desire to keep the commands and begin to engage in that battle against the indwelling sin even after you are regenerated and the Holy Spirit lives within you. So striving to do as Jesus told us to do is proof that that Holy Spirit has been poured out out in your hearts, that the love of God through the Spirit has been poured out in your hearts. So obedience is the fruit of a heart filled with the gracious, regenerating love of the Spirit. Obedience will be the result. Again, a few verses later, Jesus makes another restatement of this connection between obedience and love. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word, right? He will keep my word. And so we could say maybe commandments is too, you know, we think of it as just the things he exhorted us to. But there are a lot of things that he told us to believe. There's a lot of things he said about himself that we must take as fact. I mean, there's a lot more in keeping the word. Um, But again, it's so simple, isn't it? On the page, this concept is very simple, isn't it? If you love me, You'll do what I say. <laughs> it's, it doesn't need much exposition. It doesn't need much, you know, exegesis. He who does not love me does not keep my words. He who loves me keeps my words. Those who do not love me do not obey me. Those who love me obey me. It's very simple, very simple concept. Um, What's the answer to this question? How do you know you love the Son of God? The answer is you seek to obey Him. Right? It's not, it's not, the, it's not necessarily those vibes, those emotions. Right? It certainly isn't the fact that you come to church every Sunday. Right? It, it, it certainly isn't the fact that, that you... Um, that on, you know, January 21st, 1997, you walked the aisle, came up front, while everybody had their eyes closed, right? Um, it's, not, it's not because you own a Bible. It's not because you're civilized, right? And you're just a moral person. Right? The, the proof of your love for the Son of God is obedience to what He has commanded. That means things to do and things to believe. Right? That means your mind and your actions. You don't just talk about obedience and long for it wistfully. You don't just read about the Word of God and go away forgetting what it said. You don't just 
read commentaries and systematic theologies and early church fathers and, and, and thereby fill your head with knowledge. Uh, you don't just engage in arguments about eschatology and government tyranny. You, you don't just talk the talk, but you actually seek to obey the commands of God. You actually seek to live in obedience to the Word of God. Uh, Ryle says, living and doing well are the only real evidence of grace. Living and doing. And given all that Jesus has said and will say about the Holy Spirit, we could put it this way, a holy life, a holy life marked with actual obedience will be the evidence of the Holy Spirit within us. Holy Spirit lives, holiness then comes. And holiness is seen through what you believe and what you do. Obedience to the commands. <clears throat> and it must be said, whenever we talk about love and obedience for God, as I've been saying in the Christian rigor Sunday school class, uh, time and time again, you are not saved or justified by keeping the commandments of God. That is not how you're saved. Okay, you are not justified by your obedience. No man will be justified by his obedience to God, God's commands. Romans 3 tells us this, right? By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. And what does it mean to be justified? It means that God declares you righteous. He says that one's righteous. That one will be imputed with Christ's righteousness. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. So, um, you are justified, you are declared not guilty, you are clothed in someone else's righteousness, namely the Son of God's, by faith, not by obedience. Faith. Faith. Every time I say faith, I want to say it six times and like get louder and louder. It's key, right? And no one talks about faith. Believing that Jesus rose from the dead. Faith. And so, let me say that again. You are clothed in someone else's righteousness, namely the Son of God's, by faith, not by obedience. The law reveals your sin, and it is at that point that the active obedience and passive obedience of Jesus becomes yours through faith. Faith. Not obedience. So the new birth comes, and by God's grace's choice, the love of God is poured out in our hearts through the Spirit, and then from that follows any and all obedience. We love because He first loved us. And that love then leads to obedience. So get it out of your head that obedience makes you right with God. It does not. It is only your faith that will make you right with God. You're going to hear this for the, as long as I'm reading that commentary on Galatians by Luther. Because it's the one thing he says in it. Works of obedience follow from faith. Here, here's a little bit of Luther just to, to show you what I'm reading. Here's what Luther says in that commentary 
We grant that we must teach also good works and love. So he's been talking about justification, 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 justified by faith, 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 not works of law, works of law. And then he's like, we grant that we must teach also good works and love, right? Obedience. But it must be done in time and place. That is to say, when the question is concerning works and touches not this article of justification, right? So justification, let's not talk about works. Not good. But following justification, yeah, let's talk about it all day long. Let's have a class on Christian rigor. Let's talk about what it means to obey God. But here the question is, by what means we are justified and attain eternal life? To this we answer with Paul that by faith only in Christ we are pronounced righteous and not by the works of the law or love, not because we reject good works as our adversaries accuse us, but because we will not suffer ourselves to be turned aside from the principal point of this present matter as Satan most desires. Wherefore, since we are now in the matter of justification, we reject and condemn all good works. For this place will admit no disputation of good works. In this matter, therefore, we generally cut off all laws and all the works of the law. But, he goes on, the law is good It's just and holy. True, it is. But when we are disputing about justification, there is no time or place to speak of the law. But the question is what Christ is and what benefit has he brought to us. Christ is not the law. He is not my work or the work of the law. He is not my love. He is not my chastity. He is not my obedience. He is not my poverty. But he is the Lord of life and death, a mediator and a savior of sinners, a redeemer of those that are under the law. In him we are by faith, and he in us. This bridegroom must be alone with the bride in his secret chamber, all the servants and family being put apart. But afterwards, when he opens the door and comes forth, then let the servants and handmaidens return to fulfill their ministry. There let love um, her... office and let good works be done. He's like, go into the bride chamber, be in Christ, be with Christ. And then when you come out of it, right, after you've consummated your relationship with Christ, then get to work, right? That's what he's saying. Okay. And I just have to keep saying that because as I push obedience, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to be saved by your works. That would be a bit a false gospel. That would be to betray the book of Galatians, which is all about this. But supposing the Spirit is within you, the evidence of that work and a new principle of love animating your softened heart is obedience to His commands. It is believing that He taught taught us the truth. It is doing as He said to do. It is walking even as He walked. Not perfectly, but with a steady increase in godliness and faith and fortitude, right? In usefulness and hating evil and clinging to what is good and taking thoughts captive, right? In, in accepting correction, in worshiping with zeal, on and on the list goes. In fighting lustful glances and submitting to authority and rejoicing at all times. In practicing hospitality, in ministering to those who are suffering in controlling the things that come out of your mouth, 
all those things. The love that God plants in our hearts through His Spirit, producing that kind of good harvest, joyful obedience to His commands. Do you love Jesus? Oh, I do. My heart burns within me when you say His name. That must be there. But that's not a good answer. That's not a full answer, right? Do you know and obey his words and his commands? Do you love Jesus? Yes, I, I controlled my thoughts yesterday. Do you love Jesus? Yes, I, I built up my children with words of kindness. I did not exasperate them yesterday for once. Now get this, the love of God in the regenerate heart produces obedience, and obedience leads to comfort. Obedience is the path to comfort in the Christian life. Do you believe that? Do you see it in our text? Notice what Jesus says after he teaches us that love leads to obedience. In verse 21, we get that statement, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And then what does it say? And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. And then jump down to verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word then, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. In other words, God puts his love in us through the new birth, that love in us produces obedience. That in obedience pleases God and leads to comfort. Because we know we're pleasing God because our conscience is clear. It leads to knowing the love of the Father and the love of Jesus Christ. It leads to Jesus disclosing himself even more to that person. It leads to a deeper level of love and an experience of God living within you. In other words, those who obey God's commands will know more and more of God and his love and his presence. And that knowledge will lead to more and more comfort in this life, more and more ease, more and more repose. This is indeed what the Apostle Peter teaches in that passage we've been, we've been talking about in, in the Christian rigor class, right? You know, applying all diligence, you know, add these things, be diligent, work, work, work for these, for um, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble for in this way the entrance in the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior will be abundantly supplied to you. You you will know that as you obey, as you grow in Him, as you're comforted by Him, as you're close to Him, as you know His presence. So why are we all so depressed? Why do we all come to church and have to like struggle to put a smile on our faces? I know it. It's me. It's you. We are depressed. Don't you think? We are a depressed people. Christians can't be depressed. It's sin. 
why are we depressed? If the love of God has been poured out in our hearts, why are we so depressed, so lacking comfort, so dispirited? There's only one answer. There can only be one answer, and, and here's how Ryle answers that. How is it, people often ask, that so many professing believers have so little happiness in their Christian walk, in their religion? How is it that so many know little of joy and peace and believing and go mourning and heavy-hearted towards heaven? The answer to this question is a sad one, but it must be given. Few believers attend as strictly as they should to Christ's practical sayings and words. There is far too loose and careless obedience to Christ's commandments. There is far too much forgetfulness that while good works cannot justify us, they are not to be despised. Let these things sink down into your hearts. And then he says this, if we want to be eminently happy, we must strive to be eminently holy. Do you actually believe that? Do we believe that? The path to happiness is through holiness, through the pursuit of holiness, through the pursuit of obeying the commands of God. The love of God comes to us. That love produces in us obedience. By our obedience, God draws near and comforts us and reveals himself to us. By his presence, we enjoy him and because of our justification, and joy in the Lord is our strength. And that, dear brothers and sisters, is the path to happiness in this life. If we want to be eminently happy, we must strive to be eminently holy. I mean, it is almost self-evident, isn't it? The pursuit of sin, thinking the best life is lived in disobedience to God and His Word, may temporarily distract us, but it does not lead to any lasting joy in our lives at all. It really just leads to slavery. It leads to misery. It leads to unhappiness, oppression. Why can we not see this? I mean, perhaps the reason we can't see this is we have divorced obedience and love. Love is, is you know, we, we think we have to keep obedience away from love. I mean, that is modern culture. You know, when, when Scripture exhorts wives to submit to their husbands, the accusation is, is, that is that is loveless. How could obedience ever be love? How could submission ever be love, even though every Christian is submitting to authority, the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? Right? So we've divorced obedience and love. We have become so drunk by cheap grace that we can only understand obedience to God's commands as a foolish attempt to save ourselves. It, it is the constant refrain of modern evangelicals that just believe the gospel more refrain, right? But this, this passage is teaching us that the way to be eminently happy is to pursue obedience to God's commands, not as the path to salvation, but as the path to joy, joy in this life a prelude to the sinless life you'll live eternally in His presence. 
We've, we've become so used to living with a bad conscience that we just suppress, you know, we, we suppress with just believe the gospel more. And then we conclude there is no way to live with a good conscience. We're, we're much too easy on ourselves. Right? When we sin, we do not stop to consider the misery that our sin produces and long for obedience to God's commands. We just, we just figure we'll have to live with this weight on our shoulders and live with this estrangement we feel from God. And that my obedience, you know, that would be works, and I can't do that. And then we try to draw close to God through so many other means than obedience to word. We just assume that obedience is bad and rigorous pursuit of holiness is works righteousness. We assume this all the time. We assume that walking in the same manner as Jesus walked is actually spiritual pride, that it's bad, it's counter to God's grace. In a sense, we think, we've, we, we think we have come to know God's will, but it is counter. It, but that it is counter to God's grace actually to seek to obey His will. We simply do not think that obedience to God's commands is the path to happiness in this life. Those who, okay, those who obey Christ's know more of Christ's love than unbelievers. That's obvious, right? And those who walk inconsistently. Those who obey Christ know more of Christ's love than unbelievers and those who walk inconsistently, particularly those who intentionally walk inconsistently because they preempt repentance and obedience by their cheap grace, believe the gospel more mantra. Again, Ryle, he says, we should carefully observe here that Christ does more for the comfort of some of his people than he does for others. Those who follow Christ most closely and obediently will always follow him most comfortably and feel most of his inward presence. It is one thing, as John says, to know Christ and another to know that we know him. 1 John 2, 3. So how do we know that we know Him? We obey Him out of love for Him because we want more and more of that comforting presence of God. Now, right in the middle, enough on that, right? Now, right in the middle of the last statement, one of the disciples, Judas, not Iscarius, also he's called Thaddeus elsewhere, asks a question, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world. This, that was a question in response to Jesus saying, he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, as you might expect, is trying to figure out just exactly what Jesus is saying and wants to know um, how is this going to work out? How are you going to disclose yourself to us? What does this mean? Um, what does it mean? Will it be a physical presence? Will, how will he be showing himself? Still grappling with this, I'm leaving. The Spirit's coming. And so what does Jesus say? Well, it is not physical. The whole point of what Jesus has been saying is that he is going away physically. He will not be present with them bodily. What... Um, 
what has he been talking about? Well, the Holy Spirit. He's been talking about two things, the coming of the Holy Spirit and obedience to his words. It is by means of the Spirit and the Spirit working in the word that Christ will be present with all of his disciples from from his crucifixion to the end, well, until he returns. Did you hear me? It is by means of the Spirit and the Spirit working in the Word. What, are the word, what is the Word? The Word is the commandments of Christ written down for you. Right? So the Spirit working in the Word, that's how He's going to disclose. That's how Jesus was disclosed to you, right? By the Spirit working in the Word. So has, has Christ disclosed Himself to you? Well, it would mean that the Holy Spirit abides in you and the Word is alive because of the Spirit's illumination. And in the Word, you would find the commands of Christ to be a delight, to be a light yoke and an easy burden. Right? That's what it would mean. Uh, the theologian A.W. Pink says this, This manifestation of Christ is made only to one who really loves him. And the proof of love to him is not by emotional displays, but by submission to his will. There's a vast difference between sentiment and practical reality. The Lord will give no direct and special revelation of himself to those who are in the path of disobedience. He that has my commandments means has them at heart and keeps them. That is the real test. We hear but do we heed? We hear, but do we heed? We know, but are we doing His will? Um, Boyce makes this helpful, helpful observation. He says, many Christians would be, listen to this, let it sink in. Many Christians would be willing to do spectacular things if by that means they could come to know Christ better. But they are unwilling to do the commonplace things that are involved in simple obedience. Right? They want to do this magnificent mountaintop trek. Some spiritual heavy lifting, and yet they've been told to love their wives. To control their tongue. To take thoughts captive. Do you love Christ and, and long to rest in his presence? Well, treat your wife like the weaker vessel. Respect your husband. Consider the Sabbath a delight. You know, tithe, love your brothers, forgive others who sin against you. Work hard for your family. Read the word. Go to prayer meetings. Honor your governing authorities. Have babies. Teach your children the word of God. Show kindness to strangers. Tell your sons you love them. Right? Confess your sins. Don't pray on the street corners to be seen by men. Confess his name before others. That's obedience. Those are everyday opportunities for obedience. One final thing. Notice what the passage says about those who do not love Christ. The way you'll know that somebody does not love Christ is they do not obey his word. 
Jesus said, he who does not love me does not keep my words. That disobedience is the essential quality of those who do not know or love Christ. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 put it this way, the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Then what does the Apostle Paul say next after that? However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit dwells in you. Just as obedience is the proof of the love of God in someone's heart, so disobedience is proof of the lack of love in someone's heart. Does obedience to God win out in you? Does it at times override your flesh's desires? Really? Does, are, there, are there times when you change course because you are convicted by God's word, by Jesus' commands? Or do you only and ever take that path of least resistance? This is what I feel. That's what I'm going to do. This is what I want. That's what I'm going to do. Well, what does that indicate about you? It's undeniably true that the true believer who has been born again has an experience of the Holy Spirit within him. And that experience is both a conviction over sin and then a desire to walk in, obe in obedience. It is the experience of God's love in which all of the commands of God appear lovely and all of, his all of the remaining sins in you seem like deadly betrayal. That man has the experience of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him. He is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he is never alone and lives for the kind of treasure that, that moth and rust can never destroy. Right? He lives to do the will of God. He lives exactly as Jesus Christ lived, to do the will of his Father. And there's great joy, there's great comfort because as you obey, you will know more and more of the glorious presence of God and more and more of His kindness to you in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how it trains us and corrects us. And Lord, we come to your word and so often it reveals to us just how messed up our thoughts are, how skewed our thinking is, how, how we think like we're not Christians so often. And so we thank you for providing the Spirit working in the word to bring conviction so that we may know how to properly love you. I pray that we would examine ourselves and that we would we would seek to mortify our sins, mortify our flesh, hate our sins, and live for you, and in so doing, rest and repose in our glorious Savior. We pray in his name. Amen.